time for the Extra Innings Podcast, presented by the Seattle Times. Your host is Seattle Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish. This semi-weekly slash monthly slash whenever he gets around to it podcast talks about the Mariners, Major League Baseball, food, and whatever else Ryan and his guests decide to talk about. And now, here's your host, Ryan Divish. All right, all right, all right. Baseball is back. Well, sort of. Spring training starts next week, July 1st. There was the agreement, air quotes, uh, that happened the other day. And now it's all confirmed. 60-game schedule, 40 games in the division, 20 in the corresponding uh, division, geographic division, you know, AL West versus NL West. Um, Lots of testing every other day. Um, International tiebreaker rule for extra innings. All kinds of stuff. And so, basically, the bickering on social media ends and the negotiations ends. Actually, it doesn't end. It's put on pause or hold. Because this is going to happen again in, after the 2021 season. The new CB, they'll have to negotiate a new collective bargaining agreement. You never know what's going to happen if their grievance is filed. So, I guess the bright side is baseball will be played. It isn't kind of what everyone wanted. I think it left everybody with a bad taste in their mouth waiting for it to get there. Um, you know, you just kind of felt, I want to use the word icky, but just kind of like tired, fatigued, nauseated. Um, but either way, it's back, and, and that's a good thing. Mostly because I have something to do, and I can quit bugging my parents here in Montana. Anyways, uh, as part of that, I talked to Larry Stone about just coming back and what we heard. We did a podcast with Jerry Depoto, um, or not a podcast, sorry. We did a Zoom call with Jerry Depoto today, um, which is Wednesday. I'm recording this Wednesday evening. And it was 45 minutes just discussing all the stuff about coming back, the security protocols and everything. I put the video of that on my story in the, on, in the Times. Uh, I won't post that on the podcast here because Larry and I talk for an hour, so it'll just be way too long. But um, that's on the Times website on my story on DePoto talking about that. So if you want to go back and listen, basically Larry and I discussed all the stuff about coming back, what they're doing, um, roster setup, how it's going to work. You know, we obviously talked about the negotiations and where it is for baseball. Um, one thing, just a heads up, like, Larry's got a bad computer. We're doing this via Zoom, so you'll be able to watch the video of it, too. Also, my mom makes an appearance on the podcast um, in the video part and on the audio part, as does the dog, their dog, because um, she didn't know I was recording. I was recording in the living room. Anyways, so, um, but Larry's computer has a little buzz to it. We just can't get it fixed. Look, he's got to get a new computer. That's all there is to it, but not really a priority right now. So I'm sorry that you have to hear it. We've tried every different thing in the world. This wasn't a connection issue. This wasn't tech. The, the technological aspect is Larry's computer is bad. There's just this buzz. I don't know if he has his mic turned up way too loud or what, but we can't seem to get it fixed. So we've been dealing this with for months. If you saw some of our Zoom sports reporters things, I think that's kind of where we're at. So anyways, um, let's just get to Larry's interview and we'll go from there. All right. Hi, Larry. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Ryan. It's been a while. Yeah, good to, about good to what, see you. 
seven hours or so. <laughs> well, that's true. But since we've done a podcast together, it's been a few weeks. Yeah. Um, uh, do you want to have any sort of verbal altercation with Meg? Because I got a lot of compliments about how good she was and how <laughs> we should have her on again. Last time that happened, you got all jealous <laughs> and hurt that you I know, think that the with Meg. The name Wally Pip comes to mind. No, wow. Meg did a great job. I'm uh, I'm happy to uh, defer uh, all praise and glory to her. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, it is Wednesday evening, eight o'clock here in Haver, Montana. Because believe me, this nice background, this doesn't belong in my apartment by any means. Uh, and Larry's in Bellevue at his palatial estate, um, and we are. Um, I guess starting to prepare for baseball season. Earlier today at noon, uh, we had a 45-minute conference call with Jerry Depoto, and it was pretty wide-ranging. Jerry was verbose as always. I wrote a story on it, posted the video, but um, essentially baseball is back, Larry, and that's what we talked about. So um, I guess first, what are your thoughts as we're now sitting here with baseball possibly coming back? Well, it, what a long, sordid, bitter road it took to get here is my first thought. My second thought is, wh how long will the season actually go with the COVID cases uh, skyrocketing at the moment? I mean, that's sort of this, uh, this thing lurking in the background. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the fact that they, the two sides did not ever come to a real agreement, they sort of backed into it by... The, uh, the ownership basically uh, uh, mandating the 60-game the season makes you realize that this is all kind of done under this still this, this veil of uh, disharmony. But having baseball back tends to uh, mute all those things because we all love baseball. And once you get games, that's, you'll start talking about that and the pennant races and, and the like. But the ultimate question that I have is how legitimate is a 60 game season? I mean, it's 102 games short of the real season. It, whoever wins it all this year, will that be something you brag about? I mean, it, you know, it's being the champion is a good thing, but this of all years, there's sort of a, to me, sort of this uh, backdrop of illegitimacy to the whole thing. So this would be the year that the Mariners win it then? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, how about they, they just making the playoffs and then not being able to have the fans who have been hungering for a playoff game get to go see it, you know, be an empty, empty stadium? Um, yeah, I mean, it's been three months of just kind of waiting and negotiations. And we've talked about it. I talked about it with Meg. I mean, you and I have talked about it on our, on our IM thread and stuff like that, just about kind of the – damage the perception the damage and perception that's been done to baseball we watched are we i listened to john stanton talk today twice in radio interviews one not great the other one better uh but he didn't really say much but he doesn't think that baseball has been hurt perception wise in this do you think it's been hurt well i, I listened to that too and i kind of uh, shook my head a little bit of course it's been hurt you know he's 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 an ownership he's trying to drum up interest of course you know, what else is he going to say? But uh, it's been nothing but the most negative possible publicity for a month straight. And people just saying, you know, I'm done with both sides and, you know, forget about this year. And, you know, the they did, 
there's going to be a season. I mean, there, there, there is a worst case scenario where this season never happened because they couldn't come to any kind of an agreement. Uh, this is better than that. But, you know, by hemming and hawing for so long, uh, they lost the, the chance to start three weeks earlier to have a more legitimate season and, and the like. So uh, there will be damage done. Um, and, you know, we've talked about it before, but there's still the, the next labor negotiations, which this does not set a positive tone for the, you know, the basic agreement expires after the 2021 season. And most analysts believe that the likelihood of a lockout or a strike, uh, not next, not next spring, but the, the spring after that are pretty high. Yeah. I, I, I just, I think it's unrealistic to think that it hasn't been hurt. Uh, I mean, just it, it played out so poorly. And what was amazing, honestly, is that we, you know, early on when we first started talking about this, remember we were talking about how the perception was to hate players. And there are still some that always blame it on the players first. But the, play for, the players, by doing their when and where all the time, and the owners just keep asking for little. And, you know, the perception slowly started to change and slowly started to change to the point where I think more people were angry at the owners but in the end, everybody was just angry at everybody else. Like, they were just tired of it. There was fatigue. There was just overall fatigue. Like, I don't care anymore about what either side is right. I don't care. I don't even care that there's games coming in. I do think it hurts them. I mean, realistically, had this plan, had the original plan gone through with the way they wanted to do it, we would have had, we would be basically in the last week, week and a half of, the second spring training preparing for a July 4th opening day. And now they're going to start on July 3rd. I mean, technically July 1st, they'll report, but on July 4th or July 3rd, they're going to do their first workouts. I mean, that's a lost season. You're, you've lost a month. You know, the first games are supposed to start July 24th. That's 15 games you could have played, especially if the season were to abruptly end because of the, the, because of COVID, I mean, you've lost opportunity and time to play games all the while making yourselves look bad. I mean, like, I, I refuse to believe that anybody can sit there and say with a straight face that it didn't do some damage because I think people at this point in time did not want to hear that from either side and they didn't want to see the bickering in, in social media and, and that's where we're at. And I'll be curious to see, you know, what attendance is like and all that stuff when if player or fans can come back. But I, I do know there is a significant kind of level of fandom, maybe not the diehards that are turned off by this and they just don't care and they don't care if they ever see it again. Yeah. You know, when we, when you and I first started talking about this, when they were just beginning the, the negotiations to get back on the field. I mean, I remember you saying that, there, that there was too much at stake in a pandemic to to have millionaires bickering with billionaires bickering with millionaires, and they would get this worked out. Well, that's you know, it's that that was a logical thing to assume, but they did the one thing that that people did not tolerate, which was just that. And not only a what started out during a pandemic, and then it and then evolved into this. Uh, you know, this social uh, uh, unrest and, and protest and all that. 
while people were worrying about those far more important things, here were these guys, you know, calling each other names and billionaires complaining about their cash flow and, and all of that. And you're right, in the end, it didn't matter who was at fault. It was just uh, their, you know, pox on both your houses. Uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> never, it's never good when it leaves you feeling nauseous, you know, or just kind of dirty. And, and that's what it felt like, you know. And, and I mean, like, I was at the point where I stopped defending it. Like, how do you defend it to people? Like, how do you defend a game that you kind of work in and, and really enjoy? I mean, I, there was no defending that. I, I mean, I try to tell people that, you know, a lot of this was on the owners in the sense that they really went in for the win or went in for the kill, um, you know, by lowballing every offer to start with. Um, you know, and then you explain to people like the difference between a millionaire and a billionaire, like, you know, it's, you've seen it now, but you know, a million seconds is 11.5 years, a billion seconds is 31.5 years, you know, like it's, you know, the difference. And, and I thought, I felt like the owners were trying to make a short term win and not understanding the long term ramifications of all of this. That's the thing that I just could never understand is why can't they see the big picture of the damage that they're doing to their sport and to their franchise value? Yeah. You know, in the end, it came down to, you know, what I saw the figure was to get it to 65 games and get an agreement was about $4 million per team, you know, a, a middle reliever, basically. Or um, like, or if they went to 70 games, it was $10 million. Yeah. Or $9 million. 70 games is like $9 million. How many years did the Mariners pay $9 million to Sean Figgins not to play? That would be two. Two years, essentially. You know, they're paying $31 million. They're supposed to pay $31 million in, in, in dead money this year to players not, not on their team. $19 million to Jay Bruce alone. I mean, like, and, and what bothered me, too, is, like, they were talking about the cash flow and debt accrued and stuff like that. Everybody is in debt in this country right now because of this. Very few people aren't. So that's another thing. Like people didn't want to hear about owners saying, well, you know, the money's not coming in and we're losing money. Hell, we're all losing money in the long run on this. So it was just, you know, like, again, like I, I got, I remember Howard Lincoln getting mad at me one time because he said, I said he had no concept of the blue, average blue collar fan, you know, and these guys don't, I, they just don't. When you're that wealthy, you don't know what a gallon of milk costs, or you don't know that beef prices have you know, I just, I just got kind of tired of that. And I don't know, I'm, I'm glad it's fixed. But I mean, like, so in those late days leading up to before that, like when, you know, Manfred flies to Arizona with Tony Clark, and they say a framework of the deal is met, then Clark comes out and says, that's not a framework, that was an offer, we're coming back with 70. Like at that point, I was hoping, I thought maybe we wouldn't have a season. And then I was just hoping for like 65. I didn't know what the hell was going to happen. Well, it's interesting. This whole thing started out with an agreement that in March, when they shut down baseball, that neither side agreed on what they agreed upon. Mm -hmm. Did they agree on full prorated pay, or did they re agree that that was only in the case of fans being in the stands? So they bickered about that for weeks. And then it ends with them also agreeing, not agreeing on what they agreed upon. Do we have a deal, a framework for a deal? No, we don't have a framework for a deal. Oh, yes, we do. So, I mean, it, coming and going, they couldn't agree on what to even agree on, which shows how uh, fractured this, uh, uh, the dynamics of this are. And the same two people are going to be, you know, right back at it uh, 
you know, for, for the, the far more complicated and bigger picture of a, of a new deal. So, you know, and you, you asked the question of will fans come back? I mean, it's a very complicated question because it's not, you know, you have the distaste of the negotiations. You also have the economic uh, downturn, you know, people really getting hit in the pocketbook, not having as much as disposable income to go to the ballparks. And three, you have people maybe afraid to go because they don't want to be in large gatherings for COVID reasons. So you have sort of a triple threat that's going to, I think, it's going to greatly affect attendance moving down the road for a while anyway. And you just wonder what the ramifications are going to be. You know, all the, the, a lot of free agents are going to hit the market uh, this offseason and they're, they're not going to get the deal. You know, Mookie Betts is the premier free agent and... You know, I'm sure he's been counting on a $200 million deal, which may not be there for him. Uh, and other, and you know, a lot of other guys right below him. Uh, it's going to be a, It's going to be a bleak winter, I think, uh, for free agents, and and uh, that's not going to make players happy either. And if you're a team, why would you invest into a player? You're, you're taking a financial hit this year, but like you know, obviously we we can argue about how much, but like if you take the financial hit and then you also know that there's going to be a work stoppage, I mean, why invest in, you know, or if you're a Mookie Betts, do you take a one-year deal, hopefully to get past the work stoppage and then go, but a one-year deal if they're, you know, it's, man, I don't know. He's really, he picked a bad year to be a free agent. dude. (laughs) Well, you know, he's made a lot of money. So it's not like he's going to be hurting, but the, the, how about the Dodgers? You know, they invested uh, some, good prospects to get this guy because they thought this was going to be their year. You know, they haven't won the World Series since 88. I think they've had seven playoff appearances or maybe even more without without winning the World Series. Uh, and they've lost two World Series in the last few years. So this was going to be the year they were pushing for it. And they're going to get two months of Mookie Betts. And, you know, then it's a crapshoot, as always, whether they'll win it or not. I wonder what's going to happen, you know, the so-called trade deadline which is pushed back to, to I think, August 31st. Uh, you know, maybe a, the, the Indians were hoping to move a Lindor and get some top prospects. I don't think that's going to happen now. Teams aren't going to give up top prospects for one month of uh, free agent to be, uh, although I think Lindor has one year beyond this one. But just guys who are in the, you know, the, the classic – uh, trade deadline situation of being at the end of their contract. So you, you trade for them to, for the stretch drive and you give up a prospect. I think teams are going to be less reluctant to do that as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it's baseball is in a very tenuous position right now. I remember, I remember that thing that pass and wrote a while ago, what the executive said that they needed to let it die and then yeah. so it can live again. I mean, I didn't necessarily completely agree with it, but I understand the thinking behind it on some level, like the total reset of the thinking. But, yeah, I, I mean, we're, they'll never get to that point. But I, I do think there'll be a work stoppage in a few years. And I just I, – nothing I've seen will change that. And, you know, we don't know where we're at because of this pandemic and what the finances will be like for teams going forward. So – I never, I didn't quite know what they meant though by let it die. What exactly does that mean? I mean, like, set it out for almost two years yeah. and yeah. build it back up. But, but yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, to me, that's almost code for changing the financial system and putting it in a salary cap, yeah. which is, which you know is what 
uh, when an owner says we need to let it die and rebuild it back up, that's what they mean. It's like we need to, to make it so dire that, that we can get a salary cap. And uh, I mean, that's been, uh, that's been the hill that the union has been willing to die on for 40 years now. So I don't think it's any different now. And I think we're fa- I mean, that's what they fought about in 1994. And that's probably what they're going to be fighting about in 2021. So, uh, you know, I think you, you can make a case that that would be good for, for baseball. Uh, I think there's been more parity than people like to uh, acknowledge in a sport that doesn't have a salary cap. And they have a de facto salary cap now, the luxury tax. That's why the owners uh, had such a great, you know, they, they that's why they fleeced the players in the last uh, contract, the basic agreement. That's one of the reasons is, that they put in the luxury tax to the point where it acted like a salary cap. So um, it, it kept salaries down and they've actually gone down the, the last two years. You know, what's amazing about this deal and deal, I use it in air quotes or agreement because it wasn't one. Um, like like the, the owners, when the players asked for 70, the owners got so pissed off, they said nothing. We're like, okay, we're done. We're not doing any more. We're just done. We're going to go at 60, and they don't – so then basically they, the players get punished too, and so the, the, the expanded playoffs, which can still happen, uh, reports that they're still discussing the expanded playoffs. Um, but, like, you know, the, the money made on wearing patches on the uniform, the mic'd-up players, all that stuff kind of all went out the window, stuff that was going to make these games a little bit more watchable going forward. And they're gone. So I don't know. I, I guess at this point it's done. We can just move forward. And now there's baseball to be played. Um, the Mariners had a couple players test positive for COVID nineteen. I I has I mean I can't honestly think that there won't be a team that doesn't have at least one or two players test positive or hasn't had a player test positive yet, given where most of the players live at and just also the sheer numbers of it. Um, but so that's they're moving forward. Uh, what did you take away from our stuff with the poto today? I guess we can kind of go through it all. Um, the players are going to get tested every other day once they report to spring training. Same with staff and basically what they call tier one employees, which are people with access to the clubhouse. So trainers, coaches, um, players, bullpen catcher, all those guys are considered tier one and they'll get tested every other day. Tier two employees will get tested immediately, but they won't have that. And then um, tier three, which is folks like us, we won't have testing, but we won't get anywhere near them. Um, no spitting, no sunflower seeds, no high fives. Uh, anything like that you've read about the safety stuff that you find curious or not? Well, everybody jumped on the wet rag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that you get to keep in your pocket so that you don't have to go to your mouth. Uh and it, I mean, it's amusing. The phrase "wet rag" is kind of amusing, but mm-hmm. you know, it makes it makes some sense. I think the, uh, you know, I think the ban on spitting and chewing tobacco and all that stuff is easier said than done. It's so ingrained into the sport of baseball, as you know, it's going to be hard. A lot of this stuff is going to be hard to actually enforce. Uh, you know, moving forward, I think. Uh, you know, uh, it's just the it, 
the whole thing is just sort of tenuous. You know, that you can have this manual and everything, but you can't keep tabs on these guys 24 hours a day, and they're sort of on the honor system when they leave the ballpark. So, yeah, I mean, they're, as with all the sports, the, the, the challenge is going to come when guys do test positive, which, as you said, is inevitable. And, you know, how widespread does it get and how do you handle it? And, you know, they have a, they have a plan, but uh, we just, just have to see how it works in, uh, in reality. Shannon asked the one question I was going to ask uh, Jerry today. I was dealing with a psycho black lab in the background and a dad who was vacuuming the house when I was trying. We have workers at our house, too. They're remodeling some stuff, so I had to be outside. Um, so my connection wasn't great either, but she mentioned, she asked Jerry about the trust factor of players yeah. to follow the guidelines. And, and, and I believe that players, for the most part, um, will be pretty good about it, but... It's not the players I think about. Who do you think I think is the biggest risk in terms of causing an outbreak uh, amongst mm. players? That would be a wife or a family <laughs> or somebody that doesn't follow the rules because they're not the ones that are, are at the field all day and doing all these things, yeah. you know? You know, how much do they self-quarantine? How much do they stay inside? I, you know, I don't know, and, and something I guess we'll ask players is how many players are bringing their wives with them you know, in the past, it was like this whole idea of, yeah, I got to have my family around. But with cases going on more and more, do you bring your family? Do you want them to travel? Do you want them, you know, or do you want them to be stay maybe back home with a support system if that's where you choose to live? Like so much was made about the Arizona bubble. But I'll be curious to see how many players actually bring their families because not like, you know, I, I get like with, you know, some players like Mike Trout live in L.A. basically full time. So that's where they are. But how many of the Mariners live in Seattle full-time? Marco Gonzalez? I mean, Kyle Seager moved back to North Carolina once the, the outbreak came, so it's just kind of Marco living there. He's the only one that lives in Seattle proper. I think Patrick Wisdom. So, I mean, I wonder how many players will even bring their wives and families now. Yeah, and I mean, and even the young single guys, I don't know if they're going to be in a hotel or ones who aren't from here or, or a short-term lease on an apartment or whatever, but, you know, uh, Day after day, just going back to your hotel room or your apartment, it's going to get old, and there's going to be a, uh, you know, an urge to go out and, you know, and to do what uh, young guys do. So, uh, you know, it is only sixty; it's only two months, but, uh, you know, and then you're, you're traveling on top of that. You're getting in an airplane and going to stay in hotels in other cities. So, I mean, there are a lot of danger points along the way, and you know, I think. You know, this, the, the, all of this is sort of a great equalizer, I think, for a team like the Mariners, which we probably would have pegged at about, what, 95 losses mm -hmm. going into this season. You know, I think the team that did the best of – whose guys did the best of staying in shape during this shutdown will have an advantage. The, the teams who do the best of handling the, the situation we're talking about now and staying healthy is going to have an advantage. So, you know, I think there is a chance for maybe a team that's sort of unheralded and, and, and then you have just a, you have the sprint of 60 games. So, I mean, all of that I think is, is an equalizer for, you know, a team like the Dodgers was going to win a hundred and probably 105 plus games over 162 games. But, you know, now it's only, a, now it's only 60 games. So they don't have that advantage of their depth winning out over the long haul. And, 
you know, if, if say some of their guys didn't stay in shape. I mean, the Mariners say their guys did great at that. We'll see. But, uh, you know, all that's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. So the schedule as of now is 40 games within the division and um, and then 20 games outside of the division. Is that how it is? Yeah, and it's only against the West. So Mariners will not play the Red Sox or the Yankees. They won't play the, you know, the Blue Jays won't have their invasion of fans this year because they're not oh. coming to Seattle. So, yeah, I mean, all they're going to be playing is the four other teams in their division and the five teams in the NL West. So, basically, they'll, they'll have nine opponents this year. Huh. I don't know if that's great for the Mariners in the sense that they got to play the Dodgers. The Padres are pretty good. The Giants are terrible. Rockies are okay. Diamondbacks should be better. I, mean, I, I don't know. I mean, like, at this point, like, the result – because I never really thought they'd be good anyways. Like, you know, I mean, like you said, we thought they were going to be a 95-100 loss team. You know, so, I mean, like, their actual results, I, I don't, you know, you know, like, whether or not you, like, grade their strength of schedule. I did see where they have basically the, the toughest schedule in all of baseball based on winning percentages of last year or something like that. So, you know. I don't know how that could be, though, because if, if you're a, a team in the AL or, or, like, the Florida Marlins, you know, they've got to play in their own division, the, the, the Braves – who are really good in the, the Nationals, and then they play the Yankees and the Red Sox and yeah. the Blue Jays and the Rays. Maybe you know, that was uh, American League. I didn't yeah. see. Maybe that was American Yeah. But even a team in the – a, a low-level a low team in the AL East, uh, you know, I guess it seems to me that the that both divisions of the East are the toughest in, in baseball. But, um, you know – the Mariners do have a, have a tough schedule, but I don't know if if it's the toughest. I don't. Does it really matter? Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, like, so, so as part of the conversation we have with Jerry Depoto today, uh, they were the discussion. Obviously, is about the rules for which players can go. So you can have your forty man roster plus twenty additional players. You can invite a total of sixty players to your spring training. Uh, and you know it's the forty on the roster on your forty man plus twenty extra additional extra players, um, and that's it. That's the list. You can't invite any more. And um, and so, like Depoto said, you know when he was discussing his taxi squad or these players that aren't on the forty man that he's looking to invite, some of it isn't about like reserves for their the possible injuries and stuff like that. They feel like they can handle that on the 40-man roster. What he's worried about is guys like Jared Kelnick, Logan Gilbert, Julio Rodriguez, I assume George Kirby, not getting to do anything right now. And the idea that, you know, with likely no minor league season, this is a way for their their upper-level coaches to at least get three weeks with them of spring training, a new spring training, and then have them continually working out in a team setting until they can kind of figure out if and when there's going to be a minor league season, if it's in the fall, like in the Arizona Fall League or whatever they're going to do. But so, like, their approach to this isn't necessarily about the 60 players that are going to help you win this season. Their approach is more about the 60 players that might help them win in the 2021 season, or at least 40 of the 60, or about 2021 and 2022. You know, guys like Dee Gordon and Kyle Seeger, C.J. Edwards – Taiwan Walker, they're already in a contract. They're just going to kind of play it through. But the rest is all about development and, and trying to get better. 
instead of just saying, oh, we want to win this year. I mean, I think they want to win, but, I mean, he made it a point to point out that they're still very much rebuilding. Yeah, to me, that's the, the kind of the most interesting part of this restart is, is how they handle that aspect of it. And I think that's the right thing to do. I mean, can you imagine if somebody like uh, Julio Rodriguez went an entire 2020 season without having any organized baseball? So, I mean, you've got to take your top guys. Uh, and there's even some talk that the, the number one pick, uh, whose name escapes me. Emerson Hancock. Em Emerson Hancock uh, may be part of this. Um, you know, you've, I think you've got to seize that chance, particularly in the Mariners situation where – you know, I talked to DePoto about three weeks ago for you know on the very topic about what happens to a team that is predicated on development when you can't develop, and so you've got to seize the chance uh, for for those top tier free agents, or excuse me, uh, uh, prospects who have just been sitting there not getting development. You've you've got to take what you can get, and this taxi squad is the best you can get. They're going to be more or less hanging out at Cheney Stadium in Tacoma playing intra-squad games. But that, you know, somebody like Logan Gilbert will be getting innings. It's not minor league competition, but it's innings. And he's got to, you know, he, he, they want him to get 100, 150 innings. And that's the only way to do that. The guys I feel sorry for are the, kind of the rank-and-file minor leaguers who have nowhere to go. You know, they may not be the top prospects, but the guys that, you know, could develop into prospects – and I'm sure some of them will make the major leagues, but they're not elite enough to go to the taxi squad, and there's no major league uh, minor league season for them, so they just continue to sit at home. I mean, he did uh, he did talk about having maybe having some sort of camps for guys like that. I think I mm -hmm. kind of uh, tuned out because I had some distractions at my house. Do you remember what he said about that, about guys who were – uh, minor leaguers, but not part of the taxi squad. Yeah. So what he's going to hopefully do is like, it's, you know, is be able to send some, some scouts or some coordinators into certain areas of the country where uh, a clump of minor leaguers may be able to get to without flying, drive them in, you know, have seven to 10 days at a local field there doing work and getting some, some instruction instead of this always working out on their own. I think that's what he's hoping for. I mean, obviously, there's still hope that they can have some modified form of extended spring training or the Arizona Fall League or even kind of like extended spring training league at, at the, the, um, the spring training sites. Um, but, yeah, you, you mentioned it. It's like it, you have these guys. So, like, a good borderline guy that you think of that is being crushed by this is Sam Carlson. Sam Carlson has not pitched in a game in two years. He's very yeah. talented. He's still considered a very talented prospect for him, but he's not ready to go to the taxi squad. And he, he was going to, this was going to be his first year to start amassing innings and building up after, you know, a series of elbow injuries. You know, he doesn't get a play right, right now. I mean, maybe he'll get to go to the Arizona Fall League or extended spring training, but right now, you know, he's just trying to figure out how he can get, you know, innings in a bullpen session, which aren't the same, you know, and that's development. I mean, part of his development is facing hitters. You know, the last hitters he faced were in the Arizona Rookie League and then high school. So, yeah, that, that is an issue. issue. Um, I hope that they're able to get something for these minor league kids to do towards the end. 
the problem is it's in terms of health standards and everything, it's not trending that way. And the idea of bringing in a hundred minor leaguers back to Peoria just doesn't seem feasible at this point. Um, do, you th do you think there's any chance they bring someone like Carlson just so we can get some innings? No. I mean, like, I think it'll be a stretch to bring Emerson Hancock, you know, I mean, obviously he's, he's far more advanced. So you'd like to see where he's at, but you know, if he if they do bring him, he's going to be the last guy on the list. You know, you're going to look at it, and they, maybe they have some tough decisions to make with some of the guys. I, I do expect Logan Gilbert and George Kirby. You know, I'm putting together a list of 60 guys that you know could be brought in. Uh, what it did sound like when he was talking about it, though, is, and I, I'm certain because like you know, guys like technically are still with the Mariners, like Carlos Gonzalez and Wei and Chen. They're going to be gone. There's no reason to keep them. I mean, why would you bring them in? They're not part of it. They were just kind of fillers anyways that were going to be at Tacoma. You know, if, you're, if you are going to take your lumps with it, you can. You, there's enough young, young pitchers in the organization to do that. They're going to go with a six-man rotation to start the season, uh, plus piggyback starters. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very curious how they handle this. And, and one thing, like while Larry and I talk about them bringing these guys in, for the taxi squad, that doesn't mean that Logan Gilbert is going to be inserted into the, the major league rotation or that Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez are going to be playing and making their MLB debuts this year. I don't think they'll do that. Maybe Gilbert. But even then, why would you start Gilbert's service time clock with a month left in a throwaway season anyways? You know, I mean, what good does that do you? Does the handful of starts he gets in the month of September um is that worth you know the the service time or the you know the option clock and putting him on the 40-man roster right away I guess if you feel like he's already going to be on in the mix for a rotation spot next year which they they hope will be a possibility maybe you can do that but I mean honestly part of the thing is you wanted to get him up to 150 or 125 innings so you could build him up so he could be a viable candidate next year and build up his innings progression. You know, he's nowhere ready to get to, to 180 innings in his, in his career based on that. And I don't know that he's going to get 150 quality innings. I guess he'll get the, the count up there somehow, some way, maybe if there's a fall league as well, but, um, DePoto and, and that was smart. I mean, DePoto was very adamant. It was like, look, Logan Gilbert was supposed to be called up this year, and you talked to him about it. Like, you know, right about now, he could be debuting. He could yeah. have been debuting in the big leagues. But if, he if that was the case, he would have made 10 to 12 starts at probably AA and AAA and had a, a bunch of innings and something to build on, you know, like a progression, you know, like, a, you know, building up. It's like on a, that one West Wing episode where they are, this is the signal. <laughs> <laughs> Galileo. Um, just God. just watch just watch that. Yeah, but like he there's like, you know, like it's a ramp. They ramp it up. He's building up towards, you know, he's amassing these innings and this experience to be ready to go face big league hitters and still probably wouldn't be perfectly ready. But I mean like you're not just gonna throw him out there now. I mean he, he pitched a handful of cactus league games in one game. Kelnick, as as Jerry pointed out, has one hundred at bats over IA. He had less than hundred plate appearances. In double A. I mean, you're really going to throw him out there? That doesn't do him any good. doesn't do the Mariners any good to put him in a big league game right now. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, the ultimate question which DePoto was asked is like, what does this do for, you know, their timetable and their progress? And he admitted like, who knows? And I asked it, that. Uh, okay, that was, I knew it was a brilliantly phrased question.
But, uh, you know, he also admitted that, yeah, it, it may throw us back a little bit, but, you know, a few months uh, in the big picture, you know, we still like the, the, the path we're on. And, you know, everything is still on the future of this team is still based on the development of those guys, the Gilberts and the Kelnicks and the Julios and, and the young guys in the, in the majors who are going to play every day, probably the Evan Whites and the Kyle Lewis and Shed and, uh, you know, Fraley and those guys. So um, it may throw the plan back a little bit, but, you know, every other, every team is, is going to be thrown back in one way or another, either via, veterans who are, are aging and you're and the teams are losing their prime you know if you have a guy who's 32 years old or how about uh, you know uh, uh nelson cruz at what is he now 40 uh you know, time the, yeah the clock's ticking on him and here the, the twins who are you know had a decent chance of making the playoffs this year have are, have lost three months of the prime of a 39 or uh, three months of the season of a productive 39 year old player you know, you just can't get that back where a 22-year-old kid like uh, Kelnick, you know, it's not nearly as dire. Meanwhile, the Yankees will probably have Aaron Judge, James Paxton, and Gene Carlos Stanton all healthy because of this three-month break when it starts. Yeah. Well, yeah, well Paxton is another one. And you, you just reminded me, he's a free agent to be, yeah. you know, and so he'll go on the market next year and probably not get the contract he's been dreaming of. Wait, if you're those guys, do you go one year deal? One year. I think deal? I think you do what the, the Scott Boris famous pillow contract, like he did with Adrian Beltre in yeah. in Boston, where he you know resurrected his you know after after his numbers were depressed in Seattle, he went and had a great year in Boston and got a really good contract from Texas. Um, you know, I think I think that would next year would be perfect for those. I mean, it's tailor made for that kind of thing because you know. The, just as I mentioned before, the, the the money will not be there. The ownership's already claiming you know billions of dollars of losses this year, so they're not going to be of a mind to to give out these long term huge contracts. Um. So which of those? She would bring up. You would. Would you bring? Would you bring Hancock and Kirby? I mean, they're they're pretty far away, but would you just bring it to develop sure, them? I think I would. Yeah. I mean, if you're not, if you're if you're not bringing them there to be part of the major league roster, you're basically bringing them there to, so they could get some work, you know, which is why I think Carlson could be on that list as well. Uh, you know, he doesn't have a, he needs to pitch and, you know, maybe you can find one spot for him, uh, you know, out of the thir- what, 30 man taxi squad. Is that right? No, it's, 20 techs technically 20 guys because you have your guys in your 40 man now the mariners yeah. will i expect the mariners to make moves to their 40 man roster honestly it would not i bet you they put mitch Haniger on the 45 day dl and said this yeah it didn't sound like jerry was very hopeful that he's going to be ready no which is really you know sad for him that you know last year was a way you know kind of a lost year for him and it doesn't sound like he's progressing that quickly now with two major injuries that he's rehabbing. Yeah, and then, you know, the, the next year, so, like, say he basically sits out most of this year and mm-hmm. then comes back, He he's a free agent after next season. So 2021, he's a free agent, I believe, going into 2022. Wow, yeah. I mean, and, they should have traded him after that one big year. Yeah, but who knew? Who knew he was going to get these two serious injuries? But No, ne- and you, but it's crazy. And you wonder, you know, now with 
if he doesn't play this year, you know, even if he's healthy next year, how how long does it take him to get back into a groove, you know? Yeah, he hasn't played in a long time. Um, yeah. And that is – that is pretty crazy. I'm trying to look it up and see what he's at. Man. The good thing is, I guess, is that's a position the Mariners have depth at. You know, you've got – I mean, your outfield of the future, realistically, is Lewis, Julio, and Kelnick. Anyway, oh, but, but, yeah. but you'd hope that – I think in the master plan, Hanniger would be a great trade ship if those guys emerged. So, no, so he's ARB2 next year, ARB3 in 2022, and then – uh, goes into the 2023 season as a free agent at age 32. So he has, I mean, he does have time to resurrect his trade, you know, his value and all that. I mean, they, but they could have got a haul for him. Yeah. Coming out of that, you know, and, and they knew they were going to go into, I mean, they had already made the decision to do the step back going into that year. Yeah. You know? And so they could have ostensibly, I, I mean, like they try, the Braves called and they just asked for so much. The Braves are like, you got to be kidding me. Well, yeah, I mean, Jerry basically decided that Mitch and Marco were going to be the two sort of young veterans they were going to build around. Mm-hmm. Marco in the pitching staff and, and Hanniger with the position players. And it was a gamble, and it hasn't worked out. But, I mean, again, you couldn't foresee the, the two fluky injuries that he got. So what do you think of the universal DH? you think we're going to have it for the rest of our lives? I'm all for it. I don't care if I ever see another pitcher hit again. And also, double switches mess up my scorebook. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've, it's long overdue in my opinion. Uh, you know, every league in – I think at one point there were two leagues in the world that didn't have uh, the DH, and it was the National League and one of the leagues in Japan. And I don't know if they've <laughs> gone to the – I don't know if they've gone to the DH or not. But, uh, yeah, I think that'll stick. But the one we need to talk about, is 10th inning, 2-2 tie, runner on second base. It's going to get you home. You, you, you know, you've, you've sort of made it your trademark of whining about extra innings. And <laughs> whining. I'm whining about deadline, not extra innings. I whine about deadline. Um, first of all, so as somebody who's played fast pitch softball, men's fast pitch softball for quite a long time, that's called the international tiebreaker, and they – I've been a part of that. And what I'm curious is on that, mm-hmm. how many teams will bunt the runner over from yeah. second to third and then play for the one run? Yeah. I mean think? that, I think that's the play. I mean, you know, uh, our friend, Mike Curto, you know, he had a tweet about that today and somebody asked about how it, how it played out. And, you know, that's basically what happens is, yeah. I mean, you have a runner on second, no outs. You're going to bunt him to third and hope you get him home in a sacrifice fly. So, you know, the poor pitcher, uh, it's counted as him basically being on second base via an, er- via an error. Uh-huh. So uh, it's not an earned run. It's an unearned run. But the pitcher who gives up the run and loses the game, I mean, you could give up a, a sack bunt and a, set, and a fly to center and the run scores and boom, you're the losing pitcher. <laughs> uh, you know, you haven't done anything wrong, but, um, so, uh, I think that's going to be the play. I think, and, and then in the bottom of the inning, the other team will have the chance to do the same thing. It'll be interesting to see. I wonder what the, um, the saber metrics, the analytics say about, uh, how you should play that. 
I think if you're in a just a routine game and you got a leadoff double in the tenth inning without this rule, uh, that's what you'd do, right? You'd, you'd bunt the guy over, probably. Well, this depends on who's coming up because I would love to see a situation where. Um, oh, there's my mom. mom Hi, mom. We're doing a podcast, so you got to keep going. Uh, Hi. We're doing a podcast. Oh, oh God. This is this is new ground here. Um, I love it. I, I, yeah. <laughs> um, so, but what if Vogelbach? Oh, we got the dog jumping in now. Great. Um, what if Vogelbach's coming up? So you got, yeah. say you got Seager on second and Vogelbach's coming up to start the inning. Do you bunt him? Because I'd like to see that. Like facing a closer, throwing 100 miles an hour, Vogelbach's going to bunt? Or are you going to ask Kyle Seager to bunt in that situation? I mean, I, I'm sure he would do it. He's a team player, but. I think you oh. probably, you know, you don't bunt if it's the fourth inning in that situation. But you're playing for one run to win the game. I think if it's the bottom of the inning and the other team hasn't scored and all you need is one run, you don't even think about it and you bunt. But in the top of the inning, it might, the better play may be to just go for a big inning and not give up the out. And, uh, yeah. Because you're, you're going to assume that the, the other team is going to have an, you know, if you're just playing for one run in the top of the 10th, the other team's going to start with a runner on second as well. And we'll have just as easy of a time to get that one run and, continue the tie anyway so i think now that i sort of talk through this in the top of the inning i might go for multiple runs and if it's if you if the other team doesn't score and it's the bottom of the inning i would play for you know play play to win obviously well i think also the pitcher who's on the mound who's on second base all these other things yeah. factor into it. with it with the expanded roster though you can have a pinch run or two so um yeah i, I saw hannah keezer of yahoo she posted a, a study about this on the potential that I didn't read it. I mean, like <laughs> my phone has been going nonstop since baseball came back. So, but I am curious to see, like, I was just thinking about like, that's why I probably, like if people are watching, I have like a smirk on my face. I was thinking about how Fernando Rodney would handle the situation. If he came in, like he'd probably walk the first guy. So he put runners first and second, and then maybe strike out a guy, give up an infield single. So it'd be runners second and third, then walk the next guy maybe strike out a guy, walk in a run, you know, I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, he didn't need help getting runners on base. He was the international tiebreaker on a lot of levels. But no. Now, does it, uh, is there a maximum number of innings? I, I didn't mean, see. I haven't looked. Yeah. So, I mean, like if, if they were talking about having maximum of 12, I think. Yeah. But, that you know, that wouldn't have resulting ties. But I – I can't remember seeing that that was... That's uh, a bridge too far. Yeah. Right? That's a bridge too far. We, we, we ain't soccer. All right? I'm happy baseball's back because I was having to watch the EPL here. Um, no, that's just a bridge too far. Ties. Okay, I'll, I'll take the runner on second for now for this one time and see how it works. You know, like, honestly, though, if they're going to do this, and I guess now because uh, there's no fans and stuff, but you have TV commercials... They should have, like, baseball should have just unilaterally implemented the pitch clock, too, to see. I mean, it's like 60 games. Here's a 60-game trial on it. Let's yeah. try it. You know? They yeah. already the pissed off the players anyway. <laughs> what are they going to do? Yeah. Yeah, I'd be in favor of just throwing everything out there. Robo-umps and uh, pitch clock, three-man three limit, uh, you know, this tiebreaker rule. This is already uh, kind of a bogus season anyway, so try these things out. And that's what – they could have done in a negotiated settlement with both sides, you know, cooperating, but uh, we didn't get that. So 
I mean, Manfred has been reluctant to impose those things, which he claims he has the right to do, but he hasn't done it yet. You know, he could have just said, well, we're having a pitch clock or whatever, <laughs> but he hasn't, he wants, he wanted consensus. Yeah. She, consensus is something we're not getting. Never. Uh, like, I'm tired of Manfred, really, honestly, I, <laughs> but I'm sure, yeah, he's not going to hear this. So, um, Anything else that you saw, like on the expanded rule list, that you find interesting? You know, well, bit? one thing I asked, uh, I astutely and, and cogently asked at Depoto today was the fact that uh, Friday there's been a transaction freeze. Players could not be traded. They couldn't be, you know, free agents couldn't be signed ever since, you know, this March shutdown. That that is lifted on Friday, so Trader Jerry can, you know, go back to work. Uh, so I asked him if he thought there'd be a lot of deals around baseball and if he wanted to tweak the roster. And he basically said he doesn't see a lot of deals happening. But, uh, you know, Jerry being Jerry, I would be surprised if some if the Mariners don't make some some kind of move. Wasn't Puig still a free agent? Isn't he still out there? Puig is still a free agent. And, you know, another thing they're planning on doing is having a something in Nashville – like a, a, a camp for unsigned free agents oh. to, to be sort of a, a pool of player uh, players that teams could call upon in a pinch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Puig would be... Puig, your friend. Puig would be the uh, showcase person in that. I don't know. Are there any other prominent free agents unsigned? I haven't checked that list for a while, but... One thing is, it's been so long, it's hard to have a feel for what the game was like. And, you know, we were on the verge of the season, and, you know, you, you knew a lot about all the teams, and now it's been three months. You kind of forget things. But. Like I, so I was building that. I was trying to build my 60-man roster, and, like, I'm looking at – I had the Mariners send me the last 40-man roster of the spring from the last move, and I'm going through the relievers. I'm like, who the hell is Taylor <laughs> yeah. Williams? And I'm like – I had to yeah. go back and look. Like I couldn't remember he was like a waiver claim or something. I like, yeah, I got to admit that the, there was a tweet a couple of weeks ago that the Mariners, when when they released all the minor, you know, when all the teams released all the minor leaguers, mm-hmm. and somebody tweeted out that the Mariners had released Carlos Gonzalez. It turned out not to be true, but I I said I got to I, I confess. I had forgotten that the Mariners had Carlos Gonzalez. Yeah. Well, he had a pretty forgettable spring too. So. Yeah. But yeah, like so. Yeah, I think they have. Th- that's the one roster moves that the Mariners will have to make. I think they'll have to. They'll release um, Wei and Chen and Carlos Gonzalez because they are technically twenty B free agents who sign split contracts, and they have to be notified whether they're going to make the active roster or they'll be on the practice squad, and then they have the right to opt out. So I don't do know want, what they'll do on that. Do you want to hear an interesting trivia question mm-hmm. or trivia? Do you know who the highest, the highest paid player in the major leagues this year? Wayne Chen. Wayne Chen, because the uh, the Marlins bought him out at the end of last year and paid his full salary for this year, which was like what twenty million or something. Twenty point seven million, I believe. Twenty point seven million. So he's getting every penny of it, whereas you know the Mike Trout's are only getting thirty uh, percent of of their their prorated, you know, prorated. So so he is the uh, highest paid player in baseball this year is boris his agent because if he is you know making him money yeah and i'm sure the marlins are kicking themselves since they had just uh, brought him to camp they'd only have to pay him a fraction of that yeah um 
Yeah, I didn't see anything else really. You know, I guess the roster freeze. I I would I would imagine there'll be some maneuvering on the forty man roster, perhaps maybe somebody gets outrightered or whatever, because they're going to want guys. You know that, that they they can trust on that 40 man because they're not going to have a lot of wiggle room if they put these prospects on that, on that taxi squad. Cause the one thing is if you put on the taxi squad, the only way you can come off is if you have COVID. Um, if you want to be removed because of injury or if you want to swap them out, they have to be outrighted like they're a 40 man roster player. Yeah. So, and that's, that's something that the Mariners will have to take in consideration as well. What happens if they, um, bring if they release guys at the end of the spring training someone like let's say they bring Carlos Gonzalez here and then they release him a day before the season starts can they fill that uh, in, that spot yeah, they, or yeah they can make a 40-man roster move then because they're released yeah. and outright I mean they can you know but I I think you can only bring guys off the taxi squad onto the 40-man so my, yes. my my thinking is is they're going to maneuver the 40-man before they have to announce the 60-man you know you can do whatever yeah. roster moves because the 60 man roster has to be on Sunday at noon, but your 40 man moves. So, you know, I, I didn't, I haven't looked that closely at the 40 man to sit there and say, but they may add another starting pitcher to the 40 man on there that they think, you know, look, if something goes wrong, we'll have this guy. I think they have a collection of eight right now. You know, the, the five projected guys plus Dunn plus Nick Margovicious. Margovicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be confused with Marmalejos. Yeah, Marmalejos. Uh, yeah. So um, I don't. Know. I I'm pretty curious to see how all this works. I mean, like we won't get be up close. It's going to be so different covering it. Like all the work I did building relationships with these guys is pretty much out the window. Now it's just yeah. gonna be a, it's going to be a Zoom fiesta every night. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that's going to be really interesting too. We're going to have. You know, limited press box, it sounds like, and social distancing, and then Zoom interviews. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a whole different world there, too. Yeah, the, the, you know, good beat writers like yourself, their edge is getting that that personal relationship that you get by, you know, talking to a guy in the clubhouse before a game or, you know, in spring training, and then you, you build their trust and that sort of thing. And it's hard to do when you're not even... Uh, face-to-face and you're with 20 other people on a zoom call all right well i mean we kind of exhausted this there isn't a whole lot to talk about i mean when we kind of get the 60-man roster and some other stuff we'll get some we'll definitely larry and i'll do another one just talking about being at the park and what it's like yeah um, watching it uh, i'll be watching it from the press box suite larry will be in the press box because he doesn't have those kinds of he didn't call dibs. He didn't call dibs basically. It's like calling shotguns. Um, I think t- I think Tim Heavily might have something to say about that. Well, I run that show in there. Um, <laughs> no, uh, quickly, what did you think of the junior documentary? Um, I I liked the uh, archival film. You know, the stuff of him in high school and the, you know his commercials and stuff like that. But I I. I my only complaint was it was kind of superficial. Um, you know, there there wasn't really you didn't delve. He's a you know he's a complicated person, and you didn't really get the sense of that. Uh, but you know, it was a it was an hour, and I'm sure he was. Uh, there was some there were probably some uh, boundaries on what they could talk about. But I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's. I mean, like 
after you watch the last dance and how introspective it was and how much access they had, you know, like these guys, this wasn't being filmed. You know, the, the, the footage they have wasn't being filmed with the, in, the intent of a documentary. It was just what they had. It's archival footage. So you're, I mean, I love this stuff when he was a kid and you know, yeah. all that stuff, but um, yeah, the, the rest of it, I like, again, for you and I, and I'm sure for a lot of Mariners fans, you know, too, we, we, you know, I, I spent basically a year and a half writing about Griffey and everything about him for the Hall of Fame stuff. And you cover, you know, you've been around and we covered him when he came back. So there isn't a lot I didn't know. So there was probably a lot more I knew about that wasn't in there. And then also, like, Ken, he's not, there are, t there are walls that are built up and introspection is not something he feels comfortable with a lot of the times. And so, you know, so I thought the Greg Nettles thing was kind of interesting. I didn't know that. I knew he hated the Yankees, but I thought it was always just because he couldn't be in the clubhouse. I didn't know the other stuff. Um, but the rest of it, yeah, I mean, it's stuff I knew. But, like, again, hell, just hearing Niehaus screaming on the on your TV and, and stuff like that, that stuff was pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, maybe there's – maybe at some point he'll – you know, he's 50 years old now. Maybe at some point he'll, you know, feel it's time to sort of let that wall down that you mentioned. Um, I'd like to see him do a, a book. And uh, uh, I wonder who you have to write it with. <laughs> I think he chooses you. No. He likes you. <laughs> yeah, maybe he likes me, but he also knows that I don't have the patience to work with him. Probably <laughs> like you do. But I, I do think that there's a, you know, if he would cooperate and and sort of bear his soul. There's a great book there. Yeah. Um, what are you working on? I know what you, I know what you just wrote uh, about my beloved Pioneer League baseball, but uh, tell the people what you're going to write about. I am starting a vacation uh, today. I know, be, but you wrote what did you Oh, what I wrote about. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, we have to burn some vacation time before July 1st. So I'm taking the rest of the week off. But... Um, yeah, it's an interesting story about this guy named uh, Peter Davis, who is uh, an uh, ardent Mariner fan, 26-year season ticket holder. Uh, he would make trips to, like, Jackson, Tennessee to see the minor league, the big three, because he loved baseball so much. And uh, he wanted to own a minor league team, and he sold his business that he built up from scratch to sold it to Firestone and made enough money to buy the Missoula Osprey, which he changed the name to the Paddleheads. And uh, so he's living at age 70, living his dream of owning this minor league team, which he bought in October of 2018. And then, you know, so he had an enjoyable 2019 season. And then all of a sudden COVID hits. So there's no 2020 season. And then on top of that, Baseball decides they're going to contract 42 minor league teams and the entire Pioneer League is on the list. So he, his team will very likely cease to exist in the form that it is now with, as an affiliate. They're a Diamondbacks affiliate, their rookie league short season team. And so he's trying to figure out what is going to become of the Missoula Paddleheads. You know, it could be, you know, they could try to force him to be a wood bat collegiate league or part of this dream league that they're talking about, which is undrafted free agents, giving them a place to play because you know, they're going to cut the draft back so drastically. So there'll be a bunch of 
collegiate, you know, a bunch of players who aren't, who used to be drafted, who won't be now. So they're going to be part of this dream league. But for the, for a guy who wanted to be part of affiliated major minor league baseball, it's, uh, it's not nearly the same thing. So I thought it was kind of a poignant human interest story of, of a guy who had his dream and is watching it be shattered before his very eyes. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about him before, but the Pioneer League, I grew up watching Pioneer League baseball. I mean, Great Falls, Montana is the closest city. It's an hour and a half. Um, Great Falls Dodgers watched Pedro Martinez, Raul Mondesi, Tom Goodwin, Jose Offerman. I met Johnny Roseboro there as a coordinator. It was kind of cool. Um, who else? I, mean, I met Brett Butler, who was going through there. Um, saw Jaime Navarro. I saw a fight between the Helena Gold Sox, who are a Brewers affiliate. Jaime Navarro was pitching, hit a guy on purpose, and a brawl broke out with the Medicine Hat Blue Jays, who had Junior Felix. I don't think Junior Felix, because he was pretty little, was running around. But that <laughs> Helena Brewers team also had Gary Sheffield and Greg Bond. Uh, yeah. Ryan Braun played in Helena. You know, it's, I mean, that was just like for, for the state of Montana, where you're far away from a, a major league baseball team, those games, that's the closest you get. I mean, now it's different because everything's on TV. But when I was a kid, it was even the Cubs or the Braves and whatever was on Saturday baseball. So, and I, you know, living in Missoula for a while, I would go to the Osprey games quite a bit. Um, they were affiliated with the Diamondbacks. And I saw Lyle Overbay of uh, Centralia play. He was great. J.D. Closter. I mean, like, it, th there's a big part in those communities, and it's big for the kids. And I'm, I'm, I'm sad to see it go away, and it pisses me off. And I think it's cheap and weak-willed by Manfred, but he's going to do what he wants. So, um, yeah, I'm, I, Peter, I've known Peter off and on. He'd email me. He keeps score of every game he watches. And so he keeps score on TV, even on games on TV. So he'll call me with scoring questions or email me, and he sent me some Paddleheads hats because he knew I'd went, you know, lived in Missoula. So I, I, was, I was really pulling for him that this, he'd find a way to make it work, but it doesn't look like it. But he still, think, he still swears he's going to make it, they're going to make it work, and, you know, the league is, is advocating, you know, trying to figure out a way to, to stay alive, but, uh, you know, and, the, and politicians have gotten involved. And yeah, I mean, I've... Politicians can't agree on anything, but Republicans and Democrats can agree that this is the a wrong thing to do. Yeah. I mean, they can yeah. vote. I mean, because Major League Baseball is kind of a mini monopoly. It's like a you know you can say what you want, but it is. So. Well, yeah, and they they always threaten the antitrust exemption. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned Ted Turner had a great quote in the. Have you ever read Lord of the Realms by Lords of the Realm by John Hellier, which is a. No, I heard it was really good though. Yeah. yeah, it's really good, and it was basically around the strike in '94 and the big machinations of the ownership. But Ted Turner, who at the time was the owner of the Braves, was in a meeting and he said, "Gentlemen, we've got the only legalized monopoly in America, and we're effing it up." <laughs> so, <laughs> it's true. So that's yeah, they they got the only legal monopoly in America. And uh, so that's that's always threatened whenever, whenever there's something like this, the politicians threaten to take away the antitrust exemption. So maybe that could, could happen. And there's been, you know, I think a couple of the, I think both senators in uh, Montana have, have uh, gotten involved in this. So maybe that'll help. I, mean, I think MLB will use this pandemic and financial strife to, to get what they want, but oh well. Um, I'm ex I haven't read it yet. I, I know, like I'm excited. I have it all bookmarked. I mean, to, like since baseball is since baseball came back, like my phone has just been a, a nonstop buzzing of 
you know, bosses and people and other stuff. So it's good. It feels more like the season's coming around, honestly. Oh, my dog. My, my dog just walked in here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can you see it? I don't know. Do yeah. I have it right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's this is full. This is a full uh, full podcast here. So now we'll wrap it up. Um, so you are going. How long are you on your vacation? Are you going to be back to do a little writing here soon, or what? Yeah, I'll be back next week. I guess when the Mariners come back, I'll I'll come back. Okay. I, I yeah, I'm eager to to see what this looks like in person. Well, I have to leave Montana. I'm basically a resident now. I've been here since yeah. June first, so I guess I'm gonna have to leave. All right, dude. Well, I appreciate All right. it. Oh, yeah, uh, it's a good one. All Thank right, you. See you. See ya. All right, that's it for this week's podcast. We'll go again next week when I get back to Tacoma and we're going up and seeing games. We'll figure out something. I may even try and get a play or something. I I don't know how we're going to make it work. But, again, thanks for listening and and putting up with some of the audio issues with Larry's computer and also the intrusion of my mom mom and her friend Sandy and the dog Mika. Uh, And remember, check us out, everything we're writing in the Seattle Times. And, you know, if you feel like subscribing, great. If not, I understand it as well. So I will talk to you again soon. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast presented by the Seattle Times with your host, Ryan Divish. Thanks to the Midnight Salvage Company for providing the beds and bumper music for the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. You can reach Ryan via email, rdivish at seattletimes.com. Follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Divish or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Ryan Divish. Thanks for listening.